Are you ready to hear the Word of God today? I'm excited to share the Word of God with you. I hope you're encouraged. Father, I thank you for your Word that's going to come forth in power. We yield ourselves to you, Father. Teach us something new. Use my mouth this evening. I thank you for everybody in this room and those watching us right now. I pray that our spirits and our, and our hearts are ready to receive that that you have in store for us. Holy Spirit, take control. Through your mighty name, Father God, I pray. Amen. I'm going to be talking about transferring ourselves from a tradition mindset to a truth mindset. Uh, and what I'm majorly talking about today is is something that has transformed the way I think just recently. I was looking at how we make investments in, in the people that we trust to make the investments with. Even when we go and look back on those things and you pull up your, your app and you look and things are looking bad, you're like, you know what? I trust the company that I'm with. Even when it's looking like, oh man, I'm doing bad with my Bitcoin this week. You're like, wait, a couple of days. This thing will be back up. Systems have been built in place where we trust the professionals. We trust everything going on, even when it's falling apart. But I realize when it comes to trusting the Word of God, we have built traditions around it. I'm going to trust God until this point. I'm going to trust God this far. If it gets too bad, it means God no longer cares about me. It's almost the religion that we see today where the places that we go to have become the places that have the truth for us. Here's what I mean. If you're, if, if you're out of the Catholics, they want to go to Rome and visit the Vatican. It feels like I went to a place where something spiritual was birthed, but they don't pick up the spiritual truth that was given in that place. We have Protestants, you know, we, we want to go to Canterbury, and we become honored by our religions that we made it there, but we go and enjoy the sight, but we don't pick up the truth that was spoken in those places. We have Christians that love to go to Israel and walk where Jesus walked. And they come back so happy. You know what? I went to the tomb. I went to Galilee. I went to the sea where Jesus' boat was. And we leave the message of the truth that was spoken in those places there. But we come back with this tradition. If you haven't been to Israel, you need to go. I'm not talking about going to Israel. I'm not talking against going to Israel. I'm not talking against going to Rome. I'm talking about the message of the truth that we miss most of the time. Almost every religion has a portion of pilgrimage. Devout people love sacred places. But God informs and shapes our faith perspective through fellowship, with the message that he assigned to people in those moments. I'll use an example here. Moses is in front of the Red Sea, 
and he's so scared. God, what am I going to do with the people? The people are telling Moses, why did you bring us this far? We were okay in Egypt. We even had food in Egypt. Seems like you brought us here to kill us. And Moses goes to God and said, God, are you going to do something to save your people? And you know, the funny thing that is interesting is God says, Moses, why are you crying to me? Stretch out your rod. Today you will see the salvation of the Lord. In other words, I brought you to this place so I can give you a word. In other words, there's people in this room going through, you are at a point where you feel like things are breaking apart. Your body is, is falling apart. You don't know what's happening tomorrow. Today I'm telling you, God is bringing you to a point where you're going to see his salvation better than you've seen it before. You know, generally through the Old Testament, people withdrew themselves. You know, I grew up in a culture where they say, if you want to go talk to God, you leave your comfortable confines and you go up in the mountains. You isolate yourself. Do you know where we get that from? We see so many prophets. We see Abraham going up the mountain. We see Moses going up the mountain. But every time Moses comes back from the mountain, he comes with the message. But every time we go to the mountain, we, t- we come back with problems. God, I, w- I don't know what this mountain is in my life, but it's not moving. God, I don't know what this sea in front of me is, is looking like, but I need you to do something. Are you picking up what I'm dropping here? Because I think I've battled this for a long time. In other words, I, I had to change my mind from looking at trouble as something the enemy is always trying to take me back with. But when I put on my God perspective through the message, troubles became faith projects. Trouble became opportunity. Why? Because as a leader, you see, you see Abraham going to this place where he wants a son, and God has promised him a son, and God sends him angels to confirm the message of the son, and Abraham is standing in this place, and he hosts the angels, he feeds them, and the angels tell him, this time next year, you will have a son, and his wife even laughs about it. But do you know that place is called Mamre? And today we have religions that have built this idea of Mamre as a prayer, prayer methodology, prayer system that you know what? You gotta go to some place where you might meet an angel and when you pray there, things happen. But yet it is the reverse that when you go to those places in your heart, in your home, in your bedroom, the same message of Christ can come alive there. What do I mean by this? We see this happen with Jacob as well. This is the son of Abraham, to where he's at a place called, called Shechem, and God asks him to get rid of all the false gods in his life. Everything he had collected from Laban, everything he had collected all through his past life, now he has to abandon in that place and commit to pursuing God. And that place was called Shechem. And all through the Old Testament, you see people going back to Shechem and not picking up the message of abandoning false gods. They pick up the message of the patriarch. This is where Jacob stood and said what he said. This is where Moses stood and prophesied. 
Therefore, we need to stand in that place, but they don't have a message for it. And I feel like God is transforming us in this time, COVID, wars, rumors of wars, countries being overtaken, and is saying to the church, do you have a message for this situation? Because I have a word for it. Are you listening in the middle of this, or are you distracted by the amiss that you have something you want to give birth to that's not happening? You know, David in Psalm 121, too, he says, I will look up to the mountains. He says, where does my help come from? The very next line makes it clear that he may have been looking to the mess, but he said, my help comes from the Lord. In other words, he summed up his, his life in the amount of the troubles he was looking at and said his help comes from a person. The creator of everything is where his help comes from. In other words, what, he's, what I'm saying here is while the prophets prioritized the message, I'm sorry to say that I have found myself prioritizing the place of the message. And I found myself asking God, why are you not doing something in my life? And God is saying, David, I have given you my word. That is my will for you. When I go to this private investor and, I, and he asks me, David, how much risk do you want to take? Ten is like risk everything, and zero is risk, is risk nothing. You know what number I usually say? Five. He says some people say seven. Some people say eight. But you have total confidence in the word of a person you can see and touch. And if when it comes to the word of God, you always remember how good it was after you've been through it. But when you're going through it, it seems like, oh, Lord, you seem so far away, a million miles it feels today. And your feelings may be telling you that, but God is saying, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I was there in the beginning. I've seen the end already. And in between, I'm right there with you. In other words, how much hope and faith do we have in the Word of God? Is it traditions that we've built around it? that is not giving us results? It wasn't the place the prophets went, but rather the message they received there because the message proved the faithfulness of God again and again. When Israel failed, a prophet came and said, thus says the Lord, in the beginning God said, and in the situation, God is saying, and after the situation, the word of God will not change. It's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus, in John chapter 5, says something very interesting. He says, you search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But in these, they are which testify of me. In other words, your hope is not in a location. Your hope is not in anything else, but it has been summed up. Everything that I will ever need in my life is in Christ Jesus. My healing is in Christ Jesus. My provision is in Christ Jesus. I've been set apart by the life of Christ. That's why Richard Bonhoeffer, in his book, Disciple, puts it this way. The Christian faith is not a means to escape challenges, but rather a means to to live unreservedly. 
The church has no identity of its own independent of God's revelation of Christ. Let that sink in for a moment. In every place that I get to go to, I get to be a a representation of Christ in that moment. Because why? His spirit is alive in me. So put me in hot water, Christ is with me in hot water. Put me in the waves, Christ is with me in the waves. Put me in the sea, Christ is with me in the sea. There's a story that I like to tell because of when I go to the ocean, I see people do it. And you see this father with his little son going deeper on the shorelines that the waves are coming. And the son holds on his hand, and every time the wave comes up, the dad will lift him up. And so the wave comes, the kid jumps up. So the kid thinks, as long as my daddy's hand is in reach... There's no wave that can take me under. And so this kid, as I was watching from a distance, he started saying things like, I'm a wave jumper. And this brought back memories to me of thinking, God, do I trust you this way? Is your word in my life my source of confidence, no matter what I'm going through? Is your word in my situation still enough the way the situation is right now? Let's say you've seen every doctor, you've seen every, every healing evangelist, you've been to every healing provision uh, financial counselor in the world, and now you're still in the same place where you don't know where your next meal is going to come from. Is the Word of God enough for you in that place? Can you plant your feet on the Word of God? I'm going to use a story to explain this. It's in Luke chapter 8. This is the story of the woman with the issue of blood. It's so easy to read this and you see what Jesus is trying to teach to me in this whole thing is once you touch the heart of the Father, you have touched His heart. Whatever you're experiencing in your life, and actually God makes it more interesting when He's talking to Paul. He says, when, when you touch my people, you touch me. Let's read the story here. It's Luke 8, 43, 48. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, who touched me when all denied it Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, who touched me? But Jesus said, somebody touched me, for I perceived power going out from me. Now when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, she declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, daughter, underline that word, (laughs) because they have been saying woman, 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 woman. And when Jesus responds, he says, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. In other words, this woman has done everything humanly possible. I want to give you a scenario. She's in the middle of Galilee's market. 
There's thousands of people that have had Jesus is a miracle worker. Jesus is this awesome guy who was showing up in town. You don't have to pay to, to have a miracle. And I can't tell you that she was the only woman with something wrong with her that day. I can't tell you that she was the only person among the people in that market that had an issue in her life. It says there was a lot of people touching Jesus. There was a lot of people in that same place, crowded, and here is a woman, by the way, lawfully, she's not supposed to be there. Lawfully, if she was discovered that she was bleeding like that, she was considered unclean, and everybody that she would touch was considered unclean. In other words, her punishment was supposed to be stoned to death because she's out of her sinful colony. The traditions had been built, and by the way, these traditions are built according to the law of Moses, their interpretation of what happened at Mount Sinai. And here we are in a place where what somebody never received about the heart of God has been taught and massaged into his heart, and now he's using it to destroy somebody else's life whenever he gets a chance to. But when they see Jesus, they all want to touch Jesus. You get what I'm saying here? Everybody needs Jesus, but they never got the message right that they received from the beginning. God the Father is saying, I want to give you these laws so you can stay protected from the curse of sin. And here we are, this law has become a punishment, and instead it's ostracizing people from the love of God that they should experience. And now this woman is choosing to rather die trying to get to Jesus than leave and dying at any moment. How much longer can you keep bleeding if you've already been bleeding for 12 years? How much more blood could she, was she willing to lose? Maybe, it was, maybe this was her 11th hour of like, you know what? It's been so tough. It's been so draining. I've spent all my, all my savings. I've spent everything that I have financially. I've seen every good doctor in my town. I've traveled everywhere for help. And this is the last moment I have. And she turns and says, I see somebody that I know if he's a true son of God, today my troubles will be over. And she chooses to take the focus off her issue and put the focus on trying to get to Jesus through the crowd. Let me explain this this way. In America, you drive to, your, to the church, you park in, the, in their parking lot. That's how some people test the church they're going to visit. If the parking lot has potholes and they have to walk on dirt to get to the door, they're driving to the next church. If they make it through the door and, they, and the greeter is rude, oh man, I'm out of here. This is not the church of God at all. You come to meet Jesus, you come to fellowship, but what separates you in that moment is how and what are you focusing on. And here's my first point out of the three. You cannot focus on the issue and God at the same time. You cannot focus on the issue and God at the same time. Something has to give. This woman decided, I've done all I can do 
and with what I'm going through, my punishment is death, to just be around the people in the market, let alone having to find her way through the people to get to Jesus. Here's what I'm saying. The enemy wants you isolated by your issue so that your issue can feed your faith and not the Word of God. Because once the enemy keeps you focused on what is wrong with me, what is going on in my life is not fair, then he's got you where he needs you. And you'll be looking at your issue, waiting for God to drop in your issue and change your situation, and wondering, oh God, where are you? And he's like, I'm right here with you. Would you turn your attention to me? David said it. I will look up to the mountain. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. And he even goes on to say, the Lord neither slumbers nor sleeps. My point number two is, what had lawfully disqualified her became the vehicle for her faith. That's one of my favorite. Because remember this. The same story in Mark chapter 9, verses 21, it says, For she said to herself, If only I could touch his garment, shall I be made well. Do you realize that the moment she uttered those words, she had actually touched the heart of the Father? Because Jesus says, I do what I see my Father do. So the moment this woman says, if I could touch the helm of the garment of Jesus, was already activated through his words and the heart of the Father. That's why Jesus did not have to see her touch. Jesus just saw the Father move. Jesus saw the Father acting and he says, somebody touched me. And then he, he asks, no who touched me? Everybody was touching Jesus, but none of them understood the Father's provision through Jesus. They had seen Jesus as a person who was walking through town with a special ability. Even when he was telling them, what I'm doing, I see my Father do. What I speak, I see my Father speak. Now let me, let me put this this way. And I don't mean that you, dis you, dis you disrespect your earthly parents. But there's not a single moment in the Gospels where Jesus refers to his father as Joseph. Even when he was a little boy and they forget where he went when, when they lost him. When his parents came to find him, what did he tell them? I was about my father's business. Can you imagine telling your parents, I am about my father's business in front of your athlete father. We lost you for three days. Why wasn't God looking for you? Who were the ones looking for you? At one, at one moment, Jesus is teaching in a room, and his, his mom and dad and brothers are so disturbed, and, and they come to the place where he has He's meeting, and the usher goes to you and says, hey, your mother and father and brothers are outside waiting for you. And Jesus says, I don't think, <laughs> I don't think those are the parents I know. My parents are those that listen to the Word of God and do it. Is he being disrespectful there? No, it's we, our identity 
his identity came from his spirit world, which is in my Father in heaven. And everything that he was doing, he was doing here in the earth as it is in heaven. So whoever has a need in the earth that could touch heaven would receive through Jesus Christ. And so the moment this woman activates and says in within herself that if I can touch the helm of his garment, I will be made whole. In other words, if I can touch the helm represented a lot of things to these people. That's where the concentration of whenever the anointed people went. And by the way, this is David's translation. I think she had to go for the end of the, of the garment because she wasn't willing to walk and push people standing. So this woman decides for people not to even notice that I'm present. I'm going to make up the decision in my heart. And if I die trying to reach Jesus, it's worth it. And she gets on the ground and she begins to crawl. Can you imagine you're, you're pulling one person after another on the ground? In the mind, you have a finished mission. If I touch the hem of his garment, I've been met whole. And in an instant, the Father in heaven shows Jesus, says, I'm about to do something through you, son. I'm about to heal somebody. And yet she wasn't the only one sick that day. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, David, I don't know who I am. Am I? How desperate do I have to get? It's not about desperacy. <laughs> how much faith do I need to do this? It's not about how much faith. It's about how much of the relationship with the Father do you have? Because if Jesus prayed, that will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. He was referencing the will of his Father. In other words, this woman touched the, the Father's heart before she even touched the hem of the garment of Jesus. How do I know that? Jesus turns around after the woman identifies herself and says, daughter, in other words, <laughs> I, I may not know who your earthly father is, but I know who your heavenly father is now. Because that father reached through me and touched your situation. Therefore, you and I have become united now in the father's plan. He calls her daughter immediately. And I want to add this. Could they... Could Luke have called this person woman because when you've been bleeding for so much, the skin had become frail? Because become pale? Probably her bones were porous, they were brittle. Probably she had a smell about her. Probably she didn't look like somebody to call daughter. Probably she didn't deserve anything about inheritance because the, when someone calls you daughter, it means you have an inheritance. You are somebody's child. 
And Jesus looks at this lost, displaced, distracted, bound by tradition, and says, I'm going to speak truth into your life. And she, he calls her daughter, saying, you have an inheritance, and your heritage is not suffering. Your heritage is met whole. Healed from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet. So to me, I think when he says daughter, immediately her skin is rejuvenated. Immediately her lifeblood is rejuvenated. Immediately everything that whatever else had become a mess because of bleeding for so long got fixed in that moment. Why? Because of tapping in the relationship with the father. She was God's daughter throughout her condition. Her condition did not disqualify her from being God's daughter. The environment she was in disqualified her from being God's daughter, and she believed it. And these are some of those subtle things that slip into us as believers, is when, is when things like this happen to us, our experience becomes our identity in Christ. David, I prayed and nothing happened. So therefore, maybe God wants me to suffer this way. David, I've tried everything in this world and nothing seems to work. Therefore, this is what God's want, God wants for me. If we serve a good and perfect father who said, oh, he gives good things, nothing bad comes from him. Therefore, when there are things in in our lives, what do I mean here? It, what happened to this woman was less about the miracle and more about the relationship with the Father. I'll say that again. What happened to this daughter of God was less about her condition and more about her discovering the Father in heaven. Why do I say that? Because we can count on the fact that she was bleeding for 12 years. But do you realize that Jesus was in that town 12 years prior? He was. You could ask, if, why did Jesus wait 12 years? Why, why, would, why would God wait till it's that bad that I've run out of options? He was on that same sea, that same little river where he... He did the miracle of the fish. And this woman was in that town. Why didn't he do it then? That's why to me it's not about the miracle. It, it was the revelation that Jesus was sent from the Father in heaven. And whatever the Father wants for me is what Jesus is going to, I'm going to receive through Christ Jesus. I no longer have to go to a place to get it. I go to the person to get it. The person of Jesus Christ my Lord and Savior. In other words, this woman is foreshadowing the Christian faith in advance. He's shadowing the book of Acts in advance. That in the midst of persecution, in the midst of destruction, in the midst of feeling lost, in the midst of my pain, my faith is not determined by how long I can hold up the pain. It is in the moment that I know from the bottom of my heart, my Father in heaven is greater. District Bonhoeffer is in, is in a, 
a five by seven cell. He's like only standing room. And they ask him, do you want to denounce Jesus? And he's like, you can, you can add water in here and drown me. But the God I know, I will never, he will never leave me nor forsake me. And I'm not willing to deny him. This is less about the miracle that the woman just received. This is more about, I have a Father in heaven who will never, ever fail me. I want to close with this. Do you believe you have a Father in heaven who will never fail you? Because that will change your tradition. That will change the reason why you come to a place like this. Maybe it's because you have heard, oh man, when you go to Rez Life, they have great coffee. Maybe, man, they have some cool things happening in the kids' ministry. Awesome. But do you come with the mission of God, this is a place where I can get on my knees and be undisturbed? and put my trouble aside and just say, Father, I thank you for this day. Is this the place where it's less about all the lights and the panels on the wall and the decoration and more about, God, I received a word today. When never Jesus teaches his disciples that whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. This loosing and binding of things is a relationship with the Father, the Spirit of God in us. I become less of myself every single time I think, oh God, I've said this several times, what do you think the Father in heaven was looking at when he looked down and saw on the cross and saw his son bleeding, his face indescribable? His heart pierced. And his son is saying, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, God could have just got together a legion of angels and just said, go kill everybody and save my son. Go bring him home. But he holds back and holds back until Jesus says, into, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I don't know what you may be going through today. But is that the posture of truth you and I have? I don't know what cross you may be on right now or feel like, <laughs> I'm on a cross right now, David. My back is hurting. My knees are going out. My lungs are shutting down on me. The doctor said this, and this doctor said that. A choir rehearsal Tuesday before last. One of the choir members comes up, and we ask for prayer requests, and then he says, David, the doctor said my cancer is back. They're going to run one more test to confirm it. Can this team pray for me? I was getting ready for this message, and then I said, you know what? I learned something new. 
said, we're going to thank the Father for a good test result. And we're going to worship like he already did it. And so the team gathered around this guy, and we started singing and praising God and saying, Father, it is well with his body. It is well with his soul. And this past Tuesday, he comes back and he says the tests came back negative. You know, sometimes you can think that prayer is asking God to move on your behalf. It's like, now you are in control of God, but that's not what it is. Prayer is you capturing the heart of the Father because he is moved by compassion. Several times the, the Bible says, and Jesus was moved by compassion. When you're hurting, the Father's heart cringes. And out of that comes the response of his word. The Bible says he will never always watches his word to perform it. But I think the greatest result of all is through his word and through these places that we encounter him is we get a message that transforms our lives forever. If there is people watching me or people in this room right now and then you want to say, I want to know the Jesus you're talking about. Maybe you've been going to church for so long. You're like, David, I, I want to know the Jesus you're talking about. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. You're thinking, David, I've been believing for a breakthrough in my life. But I figured out a way to honor God through the tough moments that my own experiences have built traditions around me. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father... I thank you for you have my heart. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your covenant sacrifice. I thank you for your blood. I thank you that you're in my heart. I thank you that you sent your son to die on the cross for my sins. And now I'm new. Let me grow in relationship with the Father. Through the word. Through fellowship with other people. And through fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Through your might name, Father God, I pray. Amen.